0: it is more than a buzzword it is just a phenomenon right now the keto diet and breast cancer do the two really mix all that well
1: they don't eating a diet high in fat and cholesterol and low in complex carbohydrates is actually building up the disease toward life's biggest killers
0: more popular diets on the market right now, it's hard to argue that there would be. As much as I love a good plant-based diet, something tells me that there may be more people looking at keto and paleo than at plants. But as you heard Dr. Funk say at the top of the show, with those low-carb and high-fat diets, that may not be the best idea when it comes to your risk of breast cancer. And so today we are going to go in depth on the science behind that hypothesis. We're going to learn more about the connection between diet and breast cancer. And by the way, that is the first step in our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign. And so this is part two of our Let's Beat Breast Cancer series with Dr. Fong. And so on the show today, you'll also hear the cancer rates among meat eaters, and how that compares to the rates among vegans and vegetarians. And we'll also be dipping into the dairy arena and learning about the dairy and cancer connection. Dr. Funk, you know, she is steeped in science. She operates in fact, and so she has a lot of studies that she will be presenting on that very topic for us on the program today as well. And you know, the hormones that are found in milk and in cheese they can wreak havoc on the body, wreak havoc on your chances for developing cancer. And you better believe she's got the science to discuss. So that's the information part of the show. For the inspiration part, we're going to be hearing from someone who has been through it, had their battle with breast cancer, and came out the other side. And now nearly two decades later, Donna Green Goodman is here to share her wisdom with us, what she learned, the secrets to her diet, her plant-based diet, how that has helped her keep her cancer in remission now for more than two decades. And she'll also be bestowing a lot of what she's learned, all of that wisdom, with us on the show. But first, we've got keto paleo and breast cancer with Dr. Christy Funk. Continuing our Let's Beat Breast Cancer series here on the exam room podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee joined again by the esteemed Dr. Christy Funk. Dr. Funk, thank you again for joining us.
1: Thanks, Glamour Boy. Glad to be back.
0: I have so many guests on this show and you are the only one that calls me glamour boy. I God bless you. I'm the only one who sees you as you truly are. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Oh man. Uh, We we had a fascinating first episode there, and uh, before we get to talk today about keto and paleo, and then we're going to dive into dairy as well, why don't we go ahead and kind of look back a little bit at what it was that we were talking about last week. We were talking about red meat, processed meat, even got into chicken and fish a little bit, but I understand that you have a phenomenal study that kind of puts a bow on everything it was that we were discussing.
1: Indeed, I do. So this is the UK Women's Cohort Study. Uh, And what they did was they followed 35,000 women for eight years. And in those subsequent years, 1,850 breast cancers were diagnosed. This is extremely interesting to me because we have a comparison from meat eaters to no meat, vegan and vegetarian consumers. And this might not surprise you if you listened into last week, those who ate meat versus those who didn't had an, Uh, Increase of breast cancer by 41% for consuming red meat, an increase of 39% for consuming processed meat, and an increase of 22% for consuming chicken. Again, sort of pointing to all the things we discussed last week as the culprits for creating that microenvironment, that soil that is conducive to a malignant breast cancer seed conducive to its growth, to its proliferation, and potentially its metastatic potential. So whatever we can do in our lives, in our choices, particularly with diet and nutrition, but also with lifestyle factors, to mitigate those powers that be in that soil that cancer requires for it to multiply and divide and propagate and metastasize and ultimately threaten your life, you should be doing And a lot of us would if we only knew. So uh, through these podcasts, through the Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign, if you pay attention, you can no longer say, I didn't know. And you'd actually be incentivized, not scared. Everything that I like to advocate for, it improves all of health in such a dramatic way that you're incentivized to continue on. For example, um, Al Gore when he had his beautiful documentary talking about climate change, it was very, like, kind of created a fear in everybody. They're like, ah, I got to recycle, and I got to drive a Prius, and I got which, believe me, is beautiful. I'm all for it. But the point is, fear-driven behavioral change is never sustainable. And what is sustainable is joy, is love, is happiness, because you definitely want more of that. Nobody wants more of fear to drive behavior. But when the behavior Gets all of these qualities inside and outside and around you that you strive to achieve, it becomes easy, it becomes second nature to want to choose broccoli <laughs> over
0: burgers. Yeah, that's that's such a great point, and and people. Always ask, you know, what is it that separates people who are able to successfully lose weight and keep it off versus those who only have it short term? And so often I will say it's about finding your why. And that goes exactly to what it is that you were talking about. You know, somebody who's fearful that they're not going to be able to fit into that dress at that wedding coming up. That's going to be a short-term weight loss right there. But somebody who wants to stick around because they love their family, they love life, they want to be around and experience it, they have their why. I guarantee you that person is going to keep those pounds off, if not for good, certainly way longer than the person who's going to the wedding in a few months. Absolutely. All right. Now let's talk about some diets here that celebrate meat, red meat, processed meat, a lot of fat in there. Keto, I mean, it is more than a buzzword. It is just a phenomenon right now uh, across the world. The keto diet and, it, and breast cancer, do the two really mix all that well? You know, they don't.
1: And the reason why these Diets are so incredibly popular. Is that they do work in the short term to achieve weight loss goals for overweight people, and they can actually decrease insulin requirements in type two diabetics again because of the weight loss. And they also advocate for the step one of an excellent whole food plant based diet, which is to eliminate high the junk food, the processed food, those that are um, just the cookies, the cakes, the chips, the crackers and so when you have a diet at a baseline that's laden in all of these processed junk foods that are high in um, refined sugars and processed flours etc and you eliminate all of that then you're automatically like getting a huge um, benefit out of the change in diet without understanding that that was the benefit now what you're doing eating a diet high in fat and cholesterol and low in complex carbohydrates is actually building up the disease toward life's biggest killers. So let me me explain. So if we look at your typical keto, paleo, Atkins, South Beach plate, um, we do have some healthy fats and a few vegetables in here. But really, we're looking at a lot of meat and cheese. And what that is filled with is saturated fat, cholesterol, and a complete lack of fiber and zero phyto By definition, phytonutrients are only found in phytos in plants. Um, you know, despite the fact that man in the paleo period actually didn't eat this way, and... Um, You know, I'm not even going to get into the fact that eating meat and dairy leads to horrific animal cruelty and water pollution and water scarcity and pesticide and antibiotic overuse leading to the emergence of superbugs. I'm not going to talk about climate change or biodiversity loss or planet destruction, exacerbation of world hunger, catastrophic natural disasters like uh, heat waves, floods, wildfires, hello, California, melting ice caps, and irony upon irony, the end of life on this planet despite the fact that animal agriculture is the number one contributor to all of these stated atrocities, I'm not even going to say that any of that is a reason to avoid uh, meat-centric, low-carb diets like keto. I'm just going to give you a three-letter word or acronym. LAD, your left anterior descending artery, aka your own life, okay? This is the big pumper that keeps your heart your biggest bumper alive. All right. So the LAD, this study, the lifestyle heart trial was published. I'm going to highlight it, um, here, 1990. The reason why I want to call out that year is that I went to med school in 1992 and I did not hear about this study until I read about it in 2017 when I was writing my bestseller breast, the owner's manual. We talked about it last time. I, Delved into all of the science myself. I didn't use a ghostwriter, and I have an inherent need to be right just because it's like my moral obligation if I'm putting something published out there, but it's also my personality to want to be right. So, anyway, um, I was doing research for the book, and when I came across Dean Ornish's work, I thought, well, whoa, is this published in Greenleaf Magazine or something? Is that why I never heard about it? Because it was 1990. it was published and I went to med school in 92 and when you hear the results of this study if you are not already familiar with it your jaw should drop to the floor and shatter that it has been kept under wraps by who knows who because it was published in one of the world's most prestigious medical journals the lancet all right so what is this study dean owners took a bunch of basically cardiac cripples who are like sent home to die? Like there's no more bypass for you. We've used all the veins in your legs, and you're maxed out on our meds. Maybe we can tweak around with a few more lipotors, etc. But uh, yeah, good luck. See ya. Like at your next visit. I have no advice for you. Those people. He takes a bunch of these end stage cardiac patients, and he does a randomized controlled trial, and half of them go to doctors' visits as usual, and the other half are going to embrace a whole-food, plant-based diet, a vegetarian diet, and other healthy lifestyle behaviors like daily exercise and try to quit smoking and stress reduction, and before you all go, let's get picture-perfect proof of what your arteries look like. So this is an angiogram, if you don't know, and it is dye put into your vein that whooshes around and then goes into the arteries and gives you an outline of the cardiac vessels barely getting through this stenosis, right? So away everybody goes, and they come back one year later, those that did come back from the control group, all had worsening of their disease. Those that were in the experimental group, (sighs) arteries wide open, right? Not every single one of them. 82% had demonstrable improvement in their arterial disease, and nobody had worsening. Say what? The number one killer of you and everyone you love and of most people on planet earth, heart disease, was not just maybe preventable 30 years ago, but reversible. Like beep, 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 back back the truck up, reversible, like get out of the wheelchair and start doing 5Ks, maybe even run a 10K? For real. I mean, That's maddening to me that I went to med school and didn't hear a peep about nutrition. But when you have this rock solid picture, perfect proof of angiographic vessels going from stenotic to wide open, and I don't hear anything about it ever in my entire medical career, that's got to really give you pause to wonder about the financial powers that be. Not only in the medical educational institutions, but also just in the average layperson. Like, what is getting filtered to us? Like, what are we missing out on? Because this revelatory study was not a one-off. On the other side of the country, Dean Ornish on the West Coast, Dr. Esselstyn on the East Coast. Dr. Esselstyn later published very similar, even, even more dramatic um, lifestyle evidence of angiograms wide open as well. And it just, it really, it blows my mind that I didn't hear a thing about it until I just stumbled across it doing my research.
0: It never ceases to amaze me every time I see those slides side by side. I mean, night and day doesn't even begin to describe the difference there.
1: I know. So the, the bottom line is to all of the paleo and keto, et cetera, advocates out there, just show me, show me your study that shows that you with your diet can reverse the number one killer of all people on earth because that's heart disease and close behind it because of vascular disease is stroke and dementia and Alzheimer's. So in the saturated fat leads directly to diabetes. So I just need your angiograms. I want the proof in the pictures and when bulletproof coffee and you know, Bacon for breakfast can do that. I'd still be uh, on the side of the animals, but the point is I might change my stance on the diet and health aspects, but I need the proof first and I'm not going to get it.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and I think that for the majority of people, when they turn to a diet like Atkins, like keto, like paleo, it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the segment, and that is it's a short-term solution, right? So that's that's why people think that these are the greatest things in the world because, yeah, initially they will help you lose weight, but the trade-off there in terms of your long-term health is not a good one.
1: Yeah, I mean, basically you're just trying to look, Sexier at your own funeral because that's all that's going to happen. In a thinner, in a thinner little body bag. (laughs) I mean, you're going to but to quote Michael Greger, the goal isn't to fit into a smaller casket.
0: Right. (laughs) Try to look slimmer at your own funeral. Goals. Goodness gracious. Okay. So we have uh, covered that. I think that the other, the big one here. I mean, talking about vegans here is dairy. We've talked a ton, a ton about meat and fish. But now let's talk about dairy a little bit, because dairy is something that a lot of people think, well, this, this, again, kind of like chicken, kind of like fish, this can't be all that bad. And even if you go through the grocery store aisles in October, you look at all of these little packs of yogurt. They've got the pink ribbon on them. And well, this has to be good for me. It's got the pink ribbon, right? I know. what's up with dairy?
1: So let's talk about dairy and and vegetarians who do have it over the meat eaters for sure. It's a healthier lifestyle. But there's room for improvement in everyone um, who's vegetarian. And that is to share some data and understand the facts that revolve around, again, the cellular response to consuming animal protein and animal fat because there's protein and fat in dairy. So let's let's have at it. I'm going to start with a powerful study. So the Adventist Health Study 2 had 69,000 people followed for just four years. I love this study because it's one of the very few out there that actually pulls out the vegans from the vegetarians. So get ready for some fun. Eating was categorized as either meat, pretty evenly divided here, 33,000 plus people versus vegetarian, 35,000 plus people, And over those just four years, we have almost 3,000 cancer cases that developed, 5% of them in men and 3.4, almost 4%, 3.8, almost 4% in women. All right. Versus meat eaters, the vegetarians had 24% less cancer. But can we do a little sub-analysis and get better? Well, yeah, we can. So let's break down the vegetarian group into vegans who have no meat, dairy, or eggs. Pesco or fish-eating vegetarians, lacto-ovo, milk and egg-eating vegetarians, and the semi-vegetarians. Sometimes they'll have a little bit of meat. Interestingly, Vegans were the only subgroup to show a statistically significant drop in cancer, and it was a 34% drop in breast and gynecologic cancers relative to meat eaters. That's it. So when you really do a sub-analysis, you find that while they didn't have more cancer than the meat eaters... Um, they didn't enjoy the benefits, right, of eating with fish or plus milk or plus eggs. So let's take a closer look at dairy. What's happening here? So dairy, people people um, sometimes don't think about the full scope of dairy, right? They think milk. Oh, I don't drink milk. I don't drink milk. Uh, yeah, but do you have cheese like cheddar Swiss mozzarella jack goat cheese? Do you eat cottage cheese, cream cheese, cream? Any cream in your coffee? Uh, Sour cream on your potato, ice cream, gelato, butter, yogurt. Uh, Again, when I was diving into science to prove the way I ate, a frequent breakfast of mine would be non-fat plain Greek yogurt with a bunch of berries and some flax seeds. Like, see, I I had it like mostly going on, but every meal seemed to be contaminated, so to speak, with just a wee bit of animal protein or fat. Like my lunch, a big salad, like huge salad, but on top, my sacred feta, which was my favorite cheese, and a little bit of salmon. Dinner, tons of vegetables, skinless boneless chicken breast. Every meal just had to have that animal content, right? So I'm right there with you. There's very little, there's no judgment for me, and I'm very little, there's none, because I was right there not that long ago until science changed me. So here we go, Jerry. The thing is, you think you think as someone kind of wanting to demonize dairy I would say there's all these hormones and it spikes IGF1 and there's saturated fat and there's pesticide residues there's antibiotics there's aflatoxins and that should lead to a proliferation of hormonally sensitive breast cancer cells but on the other side of our scale research shows that the calcium the vitamin D the butyrate lactoferrin conjugated healthy linoleic acid seems to sometimes, oftentimes, have a null effect on the negative aspects of dairy, such that when you look at the research um, objectively, it lands all over the place. You will find some studies that show an increase in breast cancer risk, others, quite frankly, a decrease, others null effect because of this healthy connection between some of the, pro- the inherent um, properties of dairy versus some of the negative ones but let's take a little deeper dive. Low-fat dairy doesn't seem to actually pose breast problems. It may pose other health problems, but I'm focused on your breast right now. Um, the saturated fat in full-fat dairy definitely is about to raise your eyebrows. So think whole milk versus skim milk. In LACE, the Life After Cancer Epidemiology Study, there were almost 2,000 early stage breast cancers followed for 11.8, almost 12 years. And what they found is that people who had one or more daily servings of high fat dairy versus those who had less than a half a serving of high fat dairy daily, again, where's my vegan group? Boom, almost a 50% increase in all cause mortality. Just from that wee bit a bit, extra, a full fat dairy. In fact, so this was 2013, but we have a study from this year, 2020, that looked at dairy, soy, and the risk of breast cancer, those confounded milks. And this was quite robust. Over 52,000 North American women were followed for almost eight years. And in that time, 1,000 plus breast cancers developed. And if you compare the highest versus the lowest consumers of dairy milk, there was a fifty percent increase in breast cancer, but looking at just the median, and I like this because you know when you do extremes, you get to a nice like wow shocking number, but that ne- is not necessarily the majority. Almost by definition, it isn't right. You're if it, especially if it's a quintile, you're looking at the highest fifth versus the lowest fifth, but three fifths of people are in the middle, and maybe that isn't as wowing as a number. This is just the median intake. Like, hey, you have three cups of. Dairy milk, and I have three cups of soy milk. How are we doing? Oh, I have soy, 32% less breast cancer. Might want to change the milk in your coffee. All right, so I want to talk a little bit more about milk because this is interesting. Like, What is it about the milk? And what it is is where the milk's coming from. It's the mama of the milk. Unlike days of yore, and I'm talking 50-plus years ago, these are pasture-fed little cows that, you know, the, the modern cows, first of all, they themselves are mostly GMO cows. They're genetically modified organisms, modified to be big, fast, and to make lots of milk all the time. In fact, they continue think of, oh, wait, by the way, people, I was going to just sing out the women, but everybody knows. When do women make milk? Human women make milk. Not that there are non-human women, by the way, but you know my point. Yeah, God, I just have had a baby. And you know what? Same is true of cows, except kind of not really sort of, because as soon as they can carry a calf, those cows are inseminated. They're pregnant, and they're given extra hormones half the time to make milk while pregnant. And then they have the calf, which is immediately removed from them. They're still milked nonstop. And then usually two to three months later, boop, re-inseminated again, constantly for their entire lives, they are making milk, their whole lives. And the second their milk starts to dry up, decapitated. So they make milk throughout their pregnancy and then throughout their entire lives. And that is critical because this state of pregnancy and lactation is by definition an elevated estrogenic state. That's how you make the milk in part. You need prolactin and other things. So these estrogens, by the way, they reside primarily in fat. Hence, you ingest substantially more estrogens that belong to the cow um, from full fat dairy because the estrogen is in the fat. And that includes organic, obviously. So this possibly helps explain the mortality bump in the LACE study that we just looked at, the 49% increase in full fat dairy. I wanna show you a few facts that are pretty interesting. So here we are, 1924, 22.5 million cattle in our country. And now here we, it ends 2015, all right? Big fall in the existence of cows on this continent. But milk production? Up over that time. Okay, fewer cows, but more milk. There's only one way that can happen. And indeed, the milk per cow, hockey sticks. Hmm, that's interesting because milk, lower fat and skim, that consumption went up and then it's kind of down in a steady state from mm, 1992 or so to going down to 2020 and whole milk, full fat milk, the bad milk, consumption has really gone down. So what are we doing with all the milk? Throwing it down the drain, feeding it to uh, pigs? Like, where's it going? Hmm, it turns out that it takes 10 pounds of milk to make one pound of cheese. So if you were a dairy farmer, uh, let's take it a step further. If you were the USDA or the government wanting to make the dairy farmers happy, what would you do? You would turn all that milk that nobody apparently wants to drink anymore and make it into cheese. 1970 to 2010 and beyond, look at our cheese consumption. So that's what I think about dairy. And here's a really tidy thing for you to think about. A list, a tidy list. I love lists. I love checking them off. It makes me feel so, like, successful for the day. I'll make lists out of, like, nothing. Get up. Check. Um, okay, so the, uh, the this is what I think about, and I think this is really helpful. I came up with this myself. I'm sure someone else has it. It's not that profound, but it's tidy. It, it, it brings you back to the point. To brings you back when you start to say, like, well, I can have some five-year-age Gouda. I mean, it's quite delicious, isn't it? And A little salmon here or one hamburger. And, and you know what? At the end of the day, if you're eating totally whole food plant-based, you're not wrong. A hamburger here, a salmon filet there. I'd rather you're eating plant, plant, plants 80 plus percent of the time if you want some animal protein. There are many reasons to avoid it, environmental and animal cruelty and your own health, but your health is probably not going to take that big of a hit. I just want to throw that out there that it's not a like all or none phenomenon. Every step you're making toward a better plant-based plate is a is a giant leap forward but when people start to forget when they ask me because they didn't see my uh, talk last week uh but chicken's okay right i want you to think about these five things or organic okay so check number one in yellow is the answer to organic the only check you get to avoid on this five checklist is that you avoid by eating organic the contaminants and additives in the meat or the milk, okay? The pesticides and the glyph you know, the glyphosate and all of that that comes from the GMO corn and soy feed that was then fed to the cow that was killed to make your burger or the milk that came from it, and the antibiotics and the added hormones. Hormones, we'll talk about that later. I- I'm gonna I'm gonna save that one. Ooh, I believe it's for our fourth week of conversations. Just put a pin in the word Xeranol. Okay. Um, but here are the next four. And this is what I think will help you, help you when you're thinking, it doesn't really make a difference, does it? Okay. If I eat organic, it's fine. No, it's not. Number one. Second check, but number one. The cellular response to eating that animal protein and saturated fat, we talked about it, elevates estrogen, elevates growth hormone, increases inflammation, allows for angiogenesis, the birth of new blood vessels, to come to that little tiny little speck of a cancer that would have gone away if it didn't have its blood vessel. But darn it all, that meat and dairy, just let it have its it's a little arterial route to get all of its nutrients to grow and divide and then boom, exit strategy through that same vessel. I mean, there's a whole host of very expensive drugs out in the westernized medical world, of which I am a huge part, uh, but I'm not trying to bash that. I'm just saying anti-angiogenic drugs are all the rage because scientists understand that cancers need their blood vessels, but broccoli can get rid of it. I mean, for real, stay tuned. End of this uh, talk, I think we're going to give out some awards. If you were able to be a food that stomps out new blood vessel formation, you just might get an award. Just saying that to all the vegetables out there. All right. (laughs) Number two about, despite organic, why you should do a double take at the meat on your plate. What's naturally in it? Cholesterol, saturated fat team iron, nitrates that become nitrosamines and nitrosamines that then become carcinogens coursing throughout your body. All right. The carcinogens from cooking. We talked about this last week. heterocyclic amines, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons fit. And then what's not in the meat? Most critically fiber is not in one single animal anything ever. And you know what? I'm saying that and some people are like, duh. I guarantee you, most of the listeners are like, okay, I was wondering. I was thinking maybe there was like like meat, like some meat out there might have some fiber. No, no, fiber is exclusively a plant-based thing. So there is never any of it in your meat or your milk. And there's never any of the chemical power found in plants that we, again, talked about last time, but all of those constituents, all of the things that make your food colorful are phytochemicals that make things green or red or orange or yellow or white. And those chemicals, I thought about this one day and I was like, gosh, except for beets, which can give you quite a scare (laughs) thinking that you have colon cancer because you do excrete potentially if you had enough beets a day or two ago, you're going to see some red in your excrement. But aside from that lone ranger, seriously, you can eat this much spinach and is your pea ever green? Those colors, those phytochemicals, those nutrients got totally and completely absorbed into your body and used for your benefit. Every time you chewed and swallowed those colors, they never came out of your body. They stayed inside and they became your advocates, lowering estrogen, lowering growth hormone, lowering inflammation, boosting your immune system, bringing you health. So that's the checklist. And the inevitable next question from a carnivore is, all right, where do I get my protein? And the answer is, it's easy to get your protein from plants. You may not think of it at the outset because you're just so used to hearing the marketing messages around like, you know, eating meat for protein. But it turns out that things like the hippopotamus, uh, massive, a rhinoceros, an elephant, and the things you eat that are your protein source, like chickens and cows and goats, they're all herbivores. So yes, you too can eat plants and be big and strong like an elephant. Here's some excellent sources. So seitan, this is wheat gluten, so it's not for my celiac people out there. But that, a mere third cup gives you 21 grams. If you want to get about 50 grams. Um, there's debates about how much, from, like 0.36 grams per pound, a little more if you're over 65, uh, more like uh, 65 just grams a day if you're over 65. But anyway, here we go. So seitan gives you 21 grams. Soy, just a half a cup. Gives you 20 grams. Lentils, 18 grams. You're seeing, you know, three meals a day. You can pretty much easily get these grams in. Beans, one cup of beans. Go easy on that if you're new to beans. I've got some advice there later. But uh, nuts, nut butters, seeds, green peas, quinoa, wild rice, steel cut oats. Uh, I didn't mean to do that. They all uh, have substantial quantities of protein. And it really, uh, with some conscious effort, is not hard to meet your daily requirements. The, the Interestingly, studies show that only 3% of Americans fall short on protein requirements, and yet they're hyper-focused on, got to get my protein, got to get my protein. And on the flip side, only 3% of Americans get the minimum daily recommendation of fiber, and they don't seem to be worried about that at all.
0: So there you have it. Yeah, that's really interesting to me. It was uh, recently I was doing a show with Dr. Jim Loomis and we got to talking about how just one out of every 10 Americans gets the recommended amount of fruits and vegetables in their diet. And so when you're looking at just one out of 10 and you know that that's a great source of fiber, that F word that you like so much, you know that we're just falling short. So when you quote a statistic like just 3% of people are getting enough fiber, does not surprise me in the least sadly. Right. I know. Yeah. It's, it's a whole thing. Um, real quick, final thoughts here on dairy, Dr. Funk, um, bottom line, brass tacks, because you did say that the data was kind of all over the place. Uh, if you are speaking to a woman who is asking you flat out, yay or nay, should I have dairy in my diet? What advice would you give her?
1: Flat out? No dairy. (laughs) There you (laughs) go. Flat out. Uh, but yeah, the, the, there's no nutritional benefit to the dairy that you can't get from substitutes. Like people worry about, well, what about my calcium? There's tons of calcium in mixed greens and there's calcium fortified soy milk. You don't, you don't have to, you don't even have to worry about it. Like if you're eating whole food, plant-based, you're going to, you're going to be fine with the With the things that dairy was uh, would otherwise give you that was was in that scale in the good category you're going to get it
0: all right well let's talk uh, about your cancer kicking summit coming up I'm sure you'll be talking about dairy a little bit there as well
1: I will so I'm so excited the cancer kicking summit got um kicked <laughs> to next year in the live version because of covid but um the summit is my my dream come true it's my little baby because. It's, um, it's really my culmination of the 25 years of being a doctor and distilling down into really actionable, take it home, start right now power, the ability to control your life in all aspects. So yes, we're going to talk diet and nutrition because it's so foundational to health and mental health as well as physical But we go way deeper than that into the soil of everything you're thinking and choosing everything from what's on your fork to the friendships that you're making uh, and the company you're keeping It has such an influence on your best health, your best life um, from, from all psychosocial aspects right down to the cell environment inside of you. So I'm so excited about the virtual summit, which is available in April, which will be quite a bit like, um, it'd be very dynamic. We're gonna keep everybody very engaged and it's on your own time. You don't have to watch it live. Uh, and then the live summit, which also will be available in virtual form, is at Taranan this is Taranan It's in Palos Verdes, California. It is absolutely a breathtaking retreat um, that will, so conducive to just opening your heart and mind and soul to change and to learning. So I hope people will join me and if you can't come to Terranea and visit in person, uh, I'd love to see you at the virtual summit.
0: I love the, the pink superhero there that's uh, with the logo. That that woman looks awesome. Yeah, she looks pretty badass. <laughs> she she really does. She really does. So, oh, man, that's fantastic. So uh, we will put a, a link for you to go ahead and register in the episode notes for this podcast. Or just head over to PinkLotus.com slash summit uh dr funk we still have a couple of more shows to do this month uh the next one i am really excited about because we are going to be talking about the best fruits we are going to be talking about the best vegetables the best seeds the best nuts the best legumes the best spices for goodness sakes you have a whole lot of food that we're going to be talking about i do i do don't miss it A quick footnote about the keto diet that I wanted to share, and that is that many of the studies that tout the positive effects of the keto diet, of the paleo diet, a lot of those studies acknowledge that not much is known about their potential long-term health implications. Now, what we do know and what we've known for years is that eating a high-fat diet that is filled with red meat and processed meat and dairy, all of the things that Dr. Funk was just talking about, that means you eat a diet like that, you are far more likely to have heart disease, have a heart attack or cancer or diabetes, all of these chronic diet-related diseases. So we're still waiting on the long-term study specifically for keto and for paleo But we do have a pretty good guess. Okay, let's move on now and roll on with our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign. A recent guest on The Exam Room Live did, in fact, beat breast cancer. And now she is more than 20 years cancer-free. But all those years ago, on that day, getting that diagnosis, it forever changed Donna Green Goodman's life and her quest now to find a healthier way, a way to live, it ultimately led her to a plant-based diet. Two decades into remission, now she is sharing her powerful journey and what she has learned along the way. She's sharing it with women around the world so they, too, can lower their risk of breast cancer, fight back, and live a longer and healthier life. Thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. You know, when somebody said, you got to get Donna on the show, I was like, okay, well, let me let me look her up, see who it is. And then I saw your story. I was like, oh my goodness gracious, two decades. Like, this this woman is a mover and a shaker. We have to get her on. So first of all, congratulations. I am so, so happy for you.
2: Thank you so much. I um, diagnosed in 96 and it shook my world. And to be able to be here almost 25 years later is one of the greatest things in my life.
0: What do you remember about the emotions of that day that you had received the diagnosis? Were you blindsided? Had there been a family history?
2: There was no family history of breast cancer in my family at all. I did have a history of fibrocystic breast disease and fibroadenomas, And it had a fibroadenoma removed, but my physician and I were watching another lump that grew and it acted the same way. So when we did a baseline mammogram, as he recommended, nobody was suspicious that anything would come back. And then we started getting calls. We see something, there's some calcifications. Come on, we need to do this. So then I went and ended up having the surgery and the doctor wanted me to wait while they were doing the labs. So about a month later is when I got the news, my husband and I were literally getting ready for the Peachtree Road Race in Atlanta. And I got the call that said that it was definitely cancer and she wanted me to come back in so that they could do a test of the lymphatic system. And when I got that information back later, you know, it's this is bad, Donna. We need you to do chemotherapy, a stem cell transplant, more chemotherapy, radiation, and then get on tamoxifen. So yeah, my world was just a little shaken.
0: Yeah yeah just a little bit. I can't even begin to imagine how was your health otherwise? I look at you today and you look so healthy, but how how were you back in 1996 when you received in, this diagnosis?
2: In 96 I was fairly healthy as as we understand it, but Now I understand that um, a lot of the challenges that I was facing, I was one of those women that Neil was just talking about. As far as having problems with periods, I was told that I would not be able to have any children because I had so much trouble with my periods and my menstrual cycle. Um, but outside of that, you know, I would—I had been teaching at Morehouse School of Medicine and then the Office of Nutrition for the state of Georgia. And so I was pretty much living the standard things where you get a little exercise, don't eat a whole lot of junk, you know, that sort of stuff. But once the diagnosis occurred and I started to make the lifestyle changes, other things that I was experiencing that were not bad enough for me to see a physician about begin to improve as well.
0: So in in that medical world, in the academic world, on top of that, you have access to all of this research. So as you're going through treatments, what were kind of some of the things that you were stumbling across?
2: Well, I, I attended Loma Linda University, where the Adventist Health Study was. So some of this information I was familiar with and, and, and that background made me make a different decision. I refused chemo and the stem cell and the tamoxifen because I understood the value of lifestyle choices to better health. What I was learning was the detail about it relative to breast cancer. And there was a study that was being done at the National Cancer Institute by Herb Pearson that really interested me about the value of plant foods in the diet and how when you ate broccoli and watermelon and tomatoes, he was discovering that the phytochemicals inside of those foods literally would go through the bloodstream and morph out the cancer. And so I was excited about that and decided that I would do the radiation, but I was going to overhaul my lifestyle, including becoming plant-based because I have been vegetarian all my life. I was lacto-ovo vegetarian. And so to discover the impact of animal products on the diet was what helped me to make the jump to doing a plant-based diet.
0: Oh, wow. That That is a, a big decision. Um, So, let me, let me ask you this, you know, I, I've spoken with uh, survivors previously, and they've all expressed to me how beneficial that healthy diet was during the course of treatment. And I will never forget having one particular interview speaking with somebody who would go for group treatment. You know, it was the same people in the same room once, twice a week, however often they were getting the chemo. And um, they said that, wow, everyone else's hair began to fall out and they would get sick every single time, they didn't feel great, but they stayed so much healthier than the rest of the group. And the only thing that they could attribute that to was the fact that they were eating an exclusively plant-based diet while everybody else was continuing to chow down on things like hamburgers.
2: Right. I, I, did radiation only. So I wasn't connected that way, but I spoke to a woman yesterday who's a breast cancer survivor and she did similar things and and had a better outcome um, than other women typically do I was fortunate enough, though, that as I made the changes, I continued to get blood work done with with my physician for her to market. And at six months, I did the blood work and she said that things had gotten worse. So I was a little concerned, but I continued to do what I did. And at nine months, I asked to see the actual blood results, the lab results. And literally, what she had told me in December was a little different on the paper. And my um, lab results that were the markers for for the growth of the cancer had continued to drop from the initial um diagnosis. And so I saw that improvement. I saw weight loss. I saw my periods go from 10 days a month down to two days a month. Um, um, allergy reactions that I was having, that my son was having all improved. My sex life with my husband improved. There were just so many amazing benefits. Um, beyond what I ever imagined because I didn't go in to affect those things. I literally went in because they told me I was going to die. And I wanted to make sure that I was doing everything that I could to live. And the plant-based diet is the way that helped me do it. It was just absolutely amazing.
0: So what were those conversations, I mean, wow, I mean, wow. I mean, you talk about your, your world being shook. I mean, at this point, you've just turned this thing all the way upside down, and you're going for a second rotation of turning it upside down. That's unbelievable. Um, but let's talk about the conversations you had with your doctor when you said, no, no, I, I really want to try aggressively with this dietary approach. Mm-hmm. What was their initial reaction?
2: My surgeon was not happy at all. I never made it to an oncologist because I decided to do lifestyle, but I did go to a radiation oncologist and I was prescribed six weeks and I did four of six weeks and then quit that because the fire inside my breast was so horrible, I couldn't do it anymore. And none of them were happy with me. So today we have what we call lifestyle medicine physicians, and I sought out someone who would today be called a lifestyle medicine physician. And he took over my care and he supported lifestyle and plant-based diet and stress management and non-drinking alcohol. All of the things that the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine Pink campaign is about, he supported and he still tested me, but he supported me in these decisions and he gave me resources to complete those decisions that I was making. And here I am 25 years later.
0: Right, man, that's fantastic. Do you think that really it, it, people should explore the traditional course of treatment on top of these lifestyle uh, medicine treatments that we're talking about, the, the dietary improvements and things like that? Is this a case where the two kind of work hand in hand to give you the optimal outcome?
2: I I see dietary as traditional. When we're talking about primary medicine, we talk about what people should eat and how they should eat. It's not always plant-based recommended, but diet is important. Whatever I talk to people, I recommend that they decide the best treatment that is right for them. And for me, it was radiation and lifestyle change. And if you've got questions about which treatment is best for you, do the research the evidence is out there and then find the healthcare team that, that works with you. That could be a, a lifestyle physician who is a, an oncologist, who's a radiation oncologist, a dietitian. A physical therapist, even because so many women have side effects of, of, of the breast cancer surgery and the treatment, and there is a change in their range of motion. So having a physical therapy as part of the team and then make the choices, because most of the lifestyle choices that I have made post my diagnosis are what doctors recommend that you do pre-diagnosis, but nobody is there showing you how to do it. And so you choose what works best for you. And I'm not talking about going to someone who is not a physician or board certified. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about medically trained professionals who you are comfortable with. And I always say to women, when you go in the store to buy a pair of shoes, you don't buy the first pair of shoes that you see unless you've tried them on before you go until you find the one that works best for you. And that's the same thing that I recommend for women who are in the situation that I faced in 1996, find the professional healthcare team and make the decisions that best work for you.
0: I I mean, you have acquired so much wisdom in this nearly quarter century since your diagnosis. When did you make the decision that you wanted to help other women along in their journey as well?
2: As soon as I was diagnosed, what I had to really do was um, um, redesign. I'm I'm a home economist, undergrad, and a public health educator, master's. So this was what I did, teach people how to improve their health. And so a lot of folk were asking me for recipes and, and what did you do? And now I had a whole different vision of, of how I could help people improve their health. And I learned how to... Um, make those changes. I was living in Atlanta, Georgia at the time, which is in the deep South. And you know, all of the habits and and practices that we do here that contribute to poor health. And so I began to um, modify what I was doing to teach other people. And it went not just for breast cancer. Of course, that's where I went first. But we were talking to people who were at risk for any chronic disease as is borne out at PCRM and making these choices improves their health. And that's what I promised God I would do till the day that I stopped breathing.
0: That's phenomenal. And how receptive are people to these lifestyle changes? I mean, because I know for a lot of people, you know, a plant-based diet that can be like, oh my goodness gracious, you know, I, I don't know about this. You know, I'm from the South as well. And if you would have told me 10 years ago to yeah. like not eat meat, I'd have been like, I don't know what kind of hippie nonsense you're talking, but I want nothing to do with it.
2: Exactly. Well, what I did was As a home economist, I used to cook food. And so I knew what Southerners like to eat. And then I would modify the recipe so that it tasted similar so that it was the foods that we traditionally ate, but they were plant based. And I remember doing projects with the Office of Minority Health. We did stuff in churches. I taught in college for a while and students would come in and say, I'm taking this class because I have to graduate. You are not going to convince me to be plant based. And by the end of the semester, after they had tasted what I did, Learn how to cook it for themselves and seeing the benefit, they embraced it themselves. And that's how I recommend it. And then the people who are slow about it, I try to go where they are. If a person is diabetic and they're trying to get the blood sugars down, I'll show them the value of why they should eat these pinto beans and rice without all of the fat back in there. Um, if a woman is is a breast cancer patient like I am, I talk to her about the value of plant foods and bringing those hormones down to where they need to be. And if you're going to do it one, three days a week, that's a very good beginning. So meeting people where they are. But when they taste my southern food, they're ready to eat it.
0: Oh, I have no doubt. Like, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I'm ready to ask you to just box them up and ship it oh, up yeah, my way know. up here in D.C.? <laughs> I like you. You were you are just fantastic. You, man, I, man, you should come on all the time. Uh, you have a great website uh set up, Lifestyle Therapeutics. That's therapeutics with an X. Talk to me a little bit about what it is that you have going on there.
2: My husband is a physical therapist and he is very interested in what is called lifestyle physical therapy as well. So when he gets a patient who is diabetic and may be experiencing um, neuropathy, what he likes to do is teach them the principles of healthy living as he treats them and uses hydrotherapy. And I'm the wellness coach who walks them through lifestyle changes and teaches them how to eat a plant-based diet. And we've been just amazed to see some of our patients who have made all of the choices that we recommend turn their health around others. It's taken a while. One gentleman actually um ended up having to go on dialysis. And then he was ready to make the changes. And he's worked with his physician, his trained physician, who was telling him that if he gets the numbers down, he can come off the dialysis. And so he is backing up the number of days that he has to go per week. And those are the joys that we get to see at our clinic doing that. I've written a couple books that have recipes in them and done a cooking show that we share with our patients as well. And the big event in our clinic, we were doing weekly cooking classes, but there were people who couldn't come back out at night for whatever reason. So we moved it to once per month and the classes before COVID were full. And then every single day that a patient comes into our clinic, our staff prepares something for them to taste that is plant-based. Today, they're getting tortillas and homemade mango salsa. And they leave with that. And many days the patient will sit in their car and eat it before they get home to their loved one because they don't want to have to share it because they enjoy it so much.
0: Mm. Mm -mm -mm. I will give you my address as soon as we wrap up here. That is, (laughs) that is fantastic. Uh, On Twitter and Instagram at still shouting no G on that because you are the OG of beating breast cancer. (laughs) Donna Green Goodman. Thank you so very much. You are just, like I said, just fantastic. Congratulations on all of your success. And thank you for sharing your journey and everything that you've learned with so many women and impacting their lives as well. Thank you so much. When you look at Donna, it's almost impossible not to smile. And that is because she just exudes happiness. She exudes radiance. She exudes positivity. And it's probably because of her journey, having been at the bottom of the barrel and now risen back up to the top. And she's helping people. Been in remission for 20 some odd years. Been in remission. Now helping people. It's impossible not to have that rosy outlook. So go. Check her out. Watch the interview over on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and on their Facebook page. And by the way, I would love for you to join us for the exam room live. That's where we got this interview with Donna. She was originally on the exam room live. Well, I would love for you to join us for a live episode Monday through Friday, noon Eastern on Facebook, on YouTube. And I do assure you that that live part is in fact live. And because of that, you never know who might pop up and you never know what might happen. So Facebook, YouTube, join us. A link to both of those pages can be found in the episode notes. And it is October and our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign does in fact roll on. And I would love for you join us for that as well pledge to follow those four cancer fighting steps those steps designed to beat breast cancer take that pledge follow those steps and hopefully go on to live a longer and healthier life lower your risk for cancer and doing that not only do you lower your risk for cancer which by itself is fantastic but you will also receive a free e-cookbook packed of delicious cancer-fighting recipes. And they are, in fact, delicious. Amazing recipes. But wait, there's more. So you take the pledge, you get healthier, you get the free e-cookbook, and you will also be entered to win a grand prize pack courtesy of one of our great sponsors like Forks Over Knives. Big thank you to them for partaking in the Let's Beat Breast Cancer Campaign. Appreciate your support. Phenomenal. So, Let's recap, lower your risk of cancer, get healthier, free e-cookbook, and get entered for a chance to win. I say the place that you want to be is letsbeatbreastcancer.org. That is the place where you can take that pledge right now and get yourself registered for everything else. Now, coming up on the program next week will be part three of our Let's Beat Breast Cancer series, and this will be our award show. And it's not just an ordinary award show, this is going to be a red carpet, black tie, dress your best food event. We are going to be handing out some serious superlatives. We have awards for the best fruit to fight breast cancer, the best breast cancer fighting vegetable, the best breast cancer fighting nut, the best seeds, the best legumes, all of those awards designed to fight breast cancer. Plus, we will be giving out what is essentially a Lifetime Achievement Award to the nutrient known as Fiber. Very popular in these parts, Fiber. So finally, going to get its due when we award the Lifetime Achievement Award to Fiber next week. So get all dressed up and make your predictions ahead of time. Who will be the big winners? Well, we're going to find out when Dr. Christy Funk unveils everything on the next episode of course that means for the next week she's going to be guarding the envelopes with the winners tucked neatly inside she's going to be guarding them with her life she's probably got them tucked in a safe in an office somewhere probably i don't know either way big time award show next week on the exam room podcast so hopefully you will join us for that if you haven't already done so go ahead and subscribe to the exam room podcast by the physicians committee on apple podcast or spotify wherever it is that you get your shows from go ahead hit that subscribe button and leave a five star rating as well finally today this crossed the exam room news desk and i wanted to share it with you and if you've ever done any kind of grocery shopping online you may have encountered this. So you're looking and you're looking for nutrition facts for a particular item that you want to put in your cart, but the problem is you just can't find them. Well, it turns out that those facts and the list of ingredients on a lot of these packaged foods, well, they're only available about 85% of the time on these online grocery websites. This is according to a study done by researchers at the University of Minnesota. Now, the packages, if you find them in stores, actual stores, they are required by law to have this information printed right on the package, right? So then why shouldn't it be available online as well? Mm, That's something to think about. 85% of the time. So that means 15% of the time you're flying blind unless you do a lot of research on your own. You head over and consult Dr. Google. Now, the research also finds that while shoppers are usually able to sort by dietary preferences such as gluten-free or even vegan, they don't usually have the ability to sort items based on other nutritional attributes like the amount of sodium something has or cholesterol Now, the grocers that were studied, they include Walmart and Amazon Fresh, Whole Foods, Kroger, and eight other leading retailers. So, interesting thing, 85%. Flying blind, 15% of the time. All right, that's going to wrap things up for us today. My thanks again to Dr. Christy Funk and the amazing Donna Green Goodman. 20-plus years in remission. That is just awesome. So for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, take a stand, keep it plant-based, and let's beat breast cancer.